Avatar podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world and fandom of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And today we are wrapping up our discussion of the Dawn of Yang Chen by FCE with chapters 37 all the way to the epilogue. Uh, in this episode, you can obviously expect some full spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, as well as potential spoilers for both Kiyoshi novels. But before we get into our discussion today, Andre, how are we doing this week? Doing pretty good. Um, we are in the full swing of things uh, when it comes to the holidays here. We've got our tree out. we got our decorations up. Um, I'm even ahead on some holiday shopping. Like, we got, I'm pretty sure, like, most of the presents that I wanted to get are already wrapped. So, I'm just having a good time enjoying the holidays. Nice! That's awesome. I did a little Christmas shopping myself. Yeah. With, uh... In Pittsburgh, there's this thing called the Freaky Fair, uh, but they have a special holiday edition called the Krampus Holiday Market, uh, and they have all these, basically, it's a bunch of just oddities and curiosities and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, some people sell taxidermy, some people sell earrings, jewelry, clothing, uh, other accessories, and some vintage, like, video games and figurines and decorations, like, just a whole mishmash of weird things and i had an absolute blast with my girlfriends the other day that's awesome that. so, yeah i got this uh, skeleton fairy uh bow like it's like the like, like four skeleton hands uh behind a little toy skeleton that's mm -hmm. on a hair clip and it's really cute i can't <laughs> wait to freak people out with it it's gonna be fun <laughs> awesome <laughs> Um, well, I mean, in terms of the news, there isn't a whole bunch. Um, there is this new uh, development that came out about the live action Atlas series. I didn't put it in the doc, um, but it was announced that the live action series is going to have. And I don't know how exactly how to read this, but I'm just read it as is. It will have a wide 2.00 colon one aspect ratio. Um, aspect ratios are like not like my forte by any means, but apparently this is supposed to be like it's wider. So for um standard television, it's a sixteen by nine aspect ratio. The animated avatar series was a four by three. Um, and this seems to be like like I said, a two point zero zero by one. Um, so it'll be super wide. I think the idea is to get a lot of things in the frame um it has been used for other big series like the crown so that's a good way if you really want to see what it actually looked like um but yeah it's kind of like i think the idea of it is kind of like a at home almost sort of like imax aspect ratio you know when you go to imax screening you get like a lot more of the frame and i think that's the idea for this so um yeah that's for people who you know are into the aspect ratio and stuff but in the interest of having any news that's our news for this week. Um, there's also been some uh, news in regards to CabbageCon. Ah, uh, uh, yes. For, yeah. for those of you who are in, who have not been in the loop, um, they had an update of leadership. They now have a new chair. Um, the person that we've had on the podcast, KK, is uh, still involved with the con, but has unfortunately had to step down for family reasons, but will still be involved with the putting together of the con. Um, yes, it is still happening. The dates are the same and it will still be held at the same venue, the Crown Plaza in Columbus over in Columbus, Ohio, uh, from March 30th to April 2nd. 
Um, so with this change, they've put a pause on ticket sales, but we'll be putting their tickets back on sale, um, starting the next couple of weeks or so. So nice holiday gift. That's certainly one of my gifts that I'm getting my girlfriend is Cabbage Con ticket. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And what else? They say that for, um, there's going to be a wide variety of panels and events, cosplay opportunities, and community guests and cosplayers. They're also working on appearances and autographs by those who worked on the shows. So stay tuned for more information on that. Mm, very cool. So that's pretty cool. A little vague confirmation. They're trying to get some folks who were involved on the show, which is super cool. Um, and if you reached out to them recently, they are trying to work to get back in touch with people who've reached out. So just keep an eye out for that. But that was in an email. So make sure you sign up for emails from CabbageCon. You can go to their website at uh, CabbageCon.com or you can email them at info at CabbageCon.com for more information. I highly recommend signing up for the newsletter. That's how I got this information in the first place. So uh, yeah, and make sure you're following CabbageCon on all the platforms that they're available on. I know for sure Instagram, um, and I'm, I'm guessing they're probably on Facebook and Twitter as well. So, but that's kind of it on news, I think. Yeah. Uh, should we go straight into our mid-discussion? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, overall thoughts on the the last couple of chapters on... Donnie Ying Chen. I'll say for me that I think it was overall a pretty strong finish. I think FC um, stuck the landing. Um, and while I do have my gripes about the large middle portion of the book, um, I do feel like it. It's kind of one of those endings where like it resolves like a tiny portion of like the overall conflict so while the unanimity thing is taken care of there's still this power struggle with the earth king with the zongdu with chassis and kalyan um and there's we also leave yangchen and kavik's relationship in a pretty like weird place um so i definitely think um if we had any specific suspicions about this being a duology i think we can definitely expect um a second donnie yangchen book just from where the pieces end um on this this chessboard of a book um i think there's definitely more to come but what were your overall thoughts kayla uh agree with you on the uh ending being a strong finish and tying up some of those loose ends but like if anything it just left me kind of like frustrated with the middle even more because i'm like okay this is a pretty good ending mm -hmm. but like it doesn't feel mm -hmm. like i mean it's like i said it does tie things that were you know, handled in the middle, but it just makes the middle look even more like meandering by comparison, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, yeah, just yeah, yeah. I just have some frustration with this book, uh, with the flow of it, with what was focused on, and honestly, with having like a strong ending and a strong setup for a potential sequel. Um, it just makes it even more like, but like, can we get got this in by in the middle? Like, can we have this? You know. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of elements in this book that I would even like dare to call almost like almost like avant-garde, like very subversive. Like the actual climax of the book only really happens over two chapters and there isn't in my opinion even a whole lot of momentum leading up to it. So when you are at the climax, you you don't realize you are until it's over, if that makes sense. So I think that's why it 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 doesn't really feel like an ending because there wasn't like a, you know, you got like, granted, this is like the Western 
way of doing the story arcs but you know you got like the climax you got leading up to it the denouement the resolution all that stuff um and not to say that that every book needs to follow that but i think that's why um i do think it was a, a strong finish in terms of me wanting to see what happens next and putting the characters in very interesting positions um but it does kind of feel like oh yeah that happened and now it's like not a thing anymore you know what i mean i just it's what we talked about last episode about just the pacing of of you know the final um like climax being so weird like oh this happened and this happened and this happened over three days and then this happened you know so we we don't really get to almost like experience the climax with the characters and i guess that's why it feels a little i don't know like the 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 dust has settled but it's like you don't even know like the dust was interrupted to begin with if that makes sense so that's kind of how i'm i'm looking at it gotcha yeah i i agree with you on that with the you know, again, just interesting concepts are introduced, and yeah, there's just some. I hate to go. I feel like I'm talking in circles here. I'm sorry. I just left me kind of just wanting. There's so many cool elements, and it was kind of just like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I hate to. I don't want. Yeah, and to... I. And... Oh, sorry. No, I know, I know, and no, it's okay. And I, I was thinking about this as I was like nearing the end. Is that there is there were so many cool concepts introduced in this book but i think that's kind of part of the reason why things felt meandering um because that there were so many cool concepts like i feel like if we just stick stuck to one or two of these cool concepts then it would feel a little bit more focused in a way um but because you know you have the spy elements you have the storyline with Jetsun. you have the storyline about yang chen have a, having a very strong connection to her past lives um and all three of those things like make i'm gonna say like make guest appearances <laughs> as we're reading but they're they almost like don't play a a extremely pivotal role they play some role but sometimes it's kind of hard to discern what exactly what role it exactly plays if that makes sense um because it's it especially the thing about her past lives because that's kind of the thing that like you don't really you don't really like drop that and then don't do anything with it because it would almost be like kind of like you know this is a novel about the avatar and it would be like saying she's the avatar at the beginning and then the rest of the book it has nothing doesn't even mention her being avatar doesn't have anything to do with being an avatar like that's kind of like what it is it's like that kind of concept deserves to be um like elaborated on almost and maybe we'll get more of it in the the second novel and we do have this bit where you know i'll i'll talk about it later more when we get to the conversation with the earth king but about how like it's not as it's not as easy as just like you know channeling her past lives into making decisions for her and that sort of thing so um i guess i guess the reason it wasn't elaborated on is because we've had a lot of storylines already on pat on other avatars um communing with their past lives and using that to make some pretty significant decisions and i think maybe fce wanted to shake it up and make ying chen make those decisions herself almost because she doesn't commune with um as far as i remember i don't think she communes with any of your past lines of this book she doesn't have like a at least not the yeah. way that we've seen communing with past lives in previous avatar mm-hmm. media you know um but 
Yeah, that's she's had like the subtle flashes mm-hmm. and things like that, but it's not been like the full on conversation. Like you know what we saw in Kiyoshi's. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and I'll also I'll still see where where that goes. I mean, again, that just might be a seed that was planted for it to come up later. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think like, for instance, like we talked a lot about you know the kind of like the side quest of going to the same ones and dealing with like the phoenix eel spirits and all of that eventually played some role in how this unanimity thing was you know kind of covered and we can go ahead and talk about this conversation with her and earth king Feishan yes. about how she's she's telling him that it was simply just a spiritual disturbance like the spirits were angry um because of the neglect that the city was facing and that's that was their way of retaliating and she basically says i know this because i just recently dealt with this with the sayawans and by the way you might want to check up on them you know yeah so i'm like okay got it um you know so that that connected the threats for me i i feel less side questy about that whole thing that came out in the end works fine um but then I there I got this really I saw this really cool connection here about how it Yangshan needs to make sure that no one knows that these these kind of combustion benders exist. Yeah. Because apparently we're in this point in history in the Avatar universe where the four nations are kind of like waiting for something to happen so they have an excuse to go to war. And then this would be the perfect thing, you know. It's it's kind of like the the nuclear bomb of the Avatar universe, and and I don't know if it's because I just recently saw Wakanda Forever, but there was a whole point in that. And it's not a spoiler, but there's a whole story point in that too of like other nations trying to find sources of, sources of vibranium mm. as a way to like um, push other countries' hands into doing things, um, and like kind of having like an excuse to you know leverage anything over another country so it kind of reminded me of that almost about how if one nation were to get get access to the people who not only can do this technique but the per- people who train the people to do this technique um it would be uh, i mean it, it would be like catastrophic and as far as we know yang chen successfully keeps this a secret um because by the time we see combustion vendors in avatar um, at least in Atla, no one, no one in the group knows who, like pe- that people could do that. Um, so I feel like if there was ever a point in, in Avatar history where they were like unleashed on a nation, um, there's it's probably not common knowledge that those kind of benders exist. Um, that's not the case in Korra because it it seems I know I remember that episode where they try to kidnap Korra from Zaofu. Um, Su Yin knows that Pali is a combustion bender. So it seems to be more widespread. And it's probably because of the Red Lotus group that it is more widespread information. Yeah. Well, even um, like... Sorry, Anne, you interrupt. Um, no, no, go ahead. Like go ahead. The, we see the com- you know, combustion man, Sparky Sparky Boom Man. I mean, I know that, mm. you know, he doesn't survive the end of, At- of Atla, but, you know, um, mm. that kind of thing would probably, especially with, like... Zuko in particular, having hired said combustion bender, would probably mm-hmm. maybe send a warning out to people about like combustion bending or like, you know, not that he would know a whole ton about it, but because he's mm-hmm. 
higher up in the four nations and has that personal experience that would kind of yeah. potentially lead to some more awareness about combustion vendors existing yeah and i think it would make sense for zuko to know about them because it is probably kind of another well-kept firebending technique secret the way lightning bending is how that was at that time only available to the royal family of the fire nation it's probably the same case the fire nation royal family are the only people who know about this technique of sub of of bending um and i would venture to guess that combustion man is at the time the only sort of bounty hunter i mean they might be a league of combustion bender bounty hunters but it's kind of implied that he's the only one i don't know um but yeah always gonna want to know more about you know how combustion benders play a role in in these stories because it is like i mean it is a big deal that they exist you know they are like kind of like weapons of mass destruction to the point where yang chen notes that it is now possible to hold a city hostage with just three people yeah you know so that's yeah it's really interesting um do you have any other thoughts about this this um conversation between yang chen and the earth king i kind of like this theme of world leaders dressing up in disguises to yeah. avoid any spies <laughs> i kind of like, like, like really enjoy that sneaky. real sneaky yeah. uh i also enjoyed that and i did like that the kind of the code that he gave yang chen of you know oh you're invited to check out the rest of the earth kingdom you know or mm-hmm. uh bossing say um yeah i guess it makes sense. And also just the fact that the mm. secrecy and sneakiness in the in Ba Sing Se has been around for hundreds of years, clearly. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. And I think I I when I was reading this, I was kind of thinking about how um, it'd be nice to kind of tie that. um that thread between Yang Chen and Aang because Aang like dresses up in several disguises and costumes and I feel like he kind of gets that from Yang Chen so I like I was kind of thinking about how like those two things connect so I thought that was really cool um but yeah I mean I mean it's noted several times in this conversation that Yang Chen is surprised at just how easily lying has become especially to a figure of this like influence you know and i think even i was surprised um at how easily she fabricated this whole thing um there is a chance it could come undone because um you know the earth king is continuing his own investigation into what happened because of that letter he got from henshi yeah so we'll see where that goes i don't know i feel like yeah i don't know I, I don't know. I don't know. I, but I think it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out in the next book. I don't think Yang Chen will be able to keep everything under wraps. Uh, I feel like that's what the next book is going to be about. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you have any last thoughts about this conversation between them? Um, I just made a note of like the uh, again fully lying with uh, on the abilities that she has to kind of mm-hmm. get what she wants, uh, and you know. You know, once again, even in stat- further establishes Avatar Zeta's influence, you know. Um, yeah. And also there's a line where she says, like, you know, oh, you know, the reformations in thin air might lead to a, you know, a model for reforming the lower ring. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Just the, I thought that was an interesting line. And clearly they were not serving as, I mean, we don't know the fate, fate of thin air just yet, but uh, probably wasn't maybe a great model for the lower ring because things don't seem to be looking any better even in Korra's time. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think it was kind of funny how FCE mentioned that the Earth King should probably consider the fact that the lower ring is actually just one giant siege line around the middle and upper ring, which is kind of like what ends up happening in Legend of Korra. Like, they all start revolting, and it's pretty easy because they are literally surrounding the entire city. So, didn't think that too far through, but... (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. I don't... Unfortunately, I don't see the Earth King taking you know the, that into account and also apparently he's he's also extremely young too like in his 20s um Don't so i think <laughs> correct me if i'm wrong this might have been the earth king that like ascended to power when he was like eight or something i thought there was something like that or wait no it's the it's the earth king and atla yeah i was that, just like, gonna say became king pretty young never mind then i thought that was him um but yeah, so we got a couple of other things to talk about, but we're going to take a break here and then we will see you guys soon to talk more about the last four chapters of the Donnie Yang Chen. Sting tuned. See ya. Hey everyone, Kayla here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check and make sure you're following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider it leaving us a review and maybe some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and to help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening, and now, back to the show! And we're back with our final discussion of the Donna Yang Chen. Well, we're kind of, like, left a little open-ended on their relationship with uh, Kavik and Yang Chen, even though she says we do have established where they are in the previous section where she says, you know, Mm -hmm. you might not be my companion, but you can still be an asset to me. Um, so mm-hmm. clearly they're still keeping in touch, so to speak. But uh, in this case, with what we get at the end of the book in the epilogue, uh, I think we were definitely right about Mama being Mama. I can't remember how how her name now, and I'm so bad. Mama a Unirac. Yeah, Mama. Yeah, yeah, a Unirac. Um, so yeah, we were right about that. It also probably it was kind of bashed over the head a little bit. I think not bashed over the head, but it was like enough to be kind of like, hey, this is an important person we might have seen already, you know. But it wasn't too flashy about it. It was just, you know, easy to pick those dots. Um, but the fact that Kavik is probably being recruited into the White Lotus, uh, as Andre mm-hmm. noted in our notes, like might cause some further tension between Yang Chen and Kavik and Yeah, hmm. I don't know how I don't know how that'll turn out. I think I think it's a really interesting setup to go from asset to close friend back to asset. Um, I think that that'll set up a really complicated relationship, I'd say, between Yang Chen and Kavik. Um, and we'll see what that looks like. I, I am, I am just gonna say I hope that because of this relationship, I do, I hope we really again do not get two separate storylines happening at the same time. Um, I would really, really prefer to focus more on Yang Chen in the second novel. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> that, that might be that might maybe that's what was the design all along. Maybe we focus more on, on Kavik the first novel. The second novel is more Yang Chen focused. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it, it's it's because it's gone to this like basically just like a work relationship sort of thing. It's it's really interesting to see that both of them are experiencing some level of like pain when it comes to like this portrayal. Um, Cause I think they really both valued each other um, for, you know, 
not only like the trust surrounding their missions and stuff, but kind of like the emotional trust that they put into each other. Um, and how Ying Chen kind of knows that she kind of like can't rationalize, even if it was for, you know, the betrayal happened because of his brother. Um, I think it's, it might be due to the fact that, I don't know. I don't want to say Ying Chen has, doesn't have a normal sense of family because the air nomads, as far as we know, like don't really have any connection to parents or, or brothers and sisters or anything. Jetsun was like a sister to Ying Chen. And I wonder how maybe that plays into how she feels about Kavik's portrayal with Kalyan. Like, I feel like there's some parallel there because they both at the beginning of the novel had lost siblings or people that they considered to be siblings. Um, and Kavik had found Kalyan and Ying Chen has still yet to find Jetsun. So I think that's an interesting parallel. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess we're just gonna have to see where it goes from here. So for sure. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about was, um, the scene at the very end of the book before the epilogue where Ying Chen is in her own quarters and kind of just like the weight of everything is crashing down on her. And I almost I almost kind of relate to Ying Chen a little bit because sometimes when there's like so much so many things happening, I'm I'm busy with so many different things. The moment I'm able to like come screeching to a halt, a lot of emotions come in and it could be very overwhelming oh, yes. some emotions that you didn't know you had about certain things um some emotions that you didn't know that you needed to process you know yeah we're, when you're when we're, and we're both very busy people so i feel i i don't know if you can relate like when we come to a halt on things um your emotions start catching up to you exactly because everything's just been pushed to yeah. the side because you kind of get tunnel vision on trying to accomplish your task trying to get what you need to get done mm -hmm. done and there's just like mm -hmm. okay and so they come to his halt until like all the exhaustion hits you. Like everything just hits you like a fucking train. And yeah, that's exactly how it is. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think it, it's a really interesting commentary on just the burden of being an avatar. Because what I think is different about that portrayal in this book, just characterizing the duties and the pressure that come with avatarhood, is that there is no option to stop. There is no option to isolate yourself and stop being the avatar. Yeah. And she and she does consider it, you know, what would happen if I just stayed up here and I didn't, you know, they can look at the avatar at the top of the hill, but that's all, you know, I'll just be a figurehead. Um, and she knows that she can't do that, you know, and, and she says that like no one would be hurt by her decisions and no one would be saved either. Right. Right, exactly. And I think there's there's some parallels we could draw here from um like the Cora Alone episode as well, where she has kind of detracted herself as the Avatar. Um and I mean with Aang, it definitely wasn't voluntary, but he was gone those hundred years, you know. Um, and we can kind of see that in the absence of that balance, um, of a world leader that stands for balance, lots of things can go down. But then the the other thing about it is, which I would find so frustrating about being an avatar is that if I'm gone, the world is out of balance. And even if I am still here, the world is still in out of balance and I can put it back in balance and it'll stay like that for a little while. And then there will be another reason for it to come out of balance, you know? So it's kind of like a, what, what am I doing here? So I thought this was like a really nihilistic view 
of being the avatar you know that she basically says she she is just bound to this duty whether she likes it or not and there's no option to abdicate any of these responsibilities you know and i think this is different from from Korra, from Kiyoshi, from Ang, because I feel like all of them have learned to live with it and like how to balance that while also being a person. And I feel like that's not an option for Yang Chen. One, because I don't think she lets it be an option. She is either an avatar or nobody, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's how I think she views it. I don't necessarily think that's true, but I mean... And that might be the the you know the meta decision that FCE did to really only include mostly avatar duty related things in Yang Cheng's storyline. Yes, we get moments of her being overwhelmed by it and being emotionally overwhelmed by it. Um, but taking away the avatar hood of it all, there isn't really anybody there with much of a I don't want to say much of a personality, but she does have a personality, but um it's just kind of that question of what would Yang Chen be if she wasn't the Avatar, you know? And I think it, it, it her being an airbender, I think, also brings a whole nother level of baggage and responsibilities to it. There's a whole other context when you're an air nomad and an Avatar um, because, you know, you're the bridge between worlds, but you're also this, like, spiritual ambassador and you bring blessings and alms and all that stuff. Um, so... I was I was just kind of I wasn't taken aback, but I just thought it was interesting that SCE decided to go for that more nihilistic, almost like negative view of being the avatar. So. Yeah, that's it was definitely it was different, but also like it's kind of the dark part that we haven't like thought about. Like, mm. you know, it's what I like about the books though is that I can get more introspective on the avatar because you are literally reading their thoughts um so mm-hmm. i like is this fresh take because you can't you don't have it's like this is like a connection with the characters that you have in the books that are different than watching it on screen and yeah. you know you can't hear cora's thoughts and cora alone but you can kind of pick at it from how she acts and her facial expressions and her decisions in this case she literally says exactly what you know what's on her mind and I don't know. It, I will say it does play to the strength of the medium. Uh, when the story is at its strongest, it really utilizes the novel format to the best possible way that it can. And this is definitely yeah. one of those moments. Yeah, yeah. I definitely. I like. I like what you said about that. Yeah, for sure. I think. I think the novel format does give us a pretty unique insight into obviously not only how they're thinking but just just how that how that fuels how we like perceive something like being the avatar i think there's so many different unique aspects in it and it makes me want to see how other avatars have learned to deal with it and the unique takes that i'm sure they had on how to deal with something like this um because as we can see from all the avatars that we've seen already not all of them are built for that much pressure you know i feel like avatars like well I was going to say avatars like Roku. I think he took the pressure of it pretty well, but also we don't have a novel and there probably were moments where he was crumbling under the pressure. Um, But I think some avatars more than most, I think deal with it in different ways. Um, Especially like avatar Zeta, who really was just like, you know, happy with being the avatar, but also having like an office job, essentially, (laughs) you know, so 
So, and I think that was not only because he wanted to improve the Fire Nation, but I think that was his way of balancing, I guess, the work-life balance of being an Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that he's more than just the Avatar. He's also a mathematical genius and knows how to run an economy and all these things so i think that was maybe his way of being like i need to know who i am outside of being the avatar you know so just i i just love every single piece of avatar media the 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 opportunities we get to look at this avatarhood in a different way because i think and i feel like i'll never get tired of it because there's just so many different ways of looking at it depending on the person who is that avatar and at what point um, in their life they're at too because your age and your experience yeah. definitely has a lot to do with your perception of the world and your perception of your role in it yeah and i think it's a this is a brilliant example too of yang chen has come to terms with the fact that she is the avatar and she can't escape this but that doesn't mean that from time to time she still struggles with it you know mm -hmm. like just because you come to terms with something doesn't mean that you will never struggle with it ever again and i think this is a great example to show that um so yeah any other last thoughts on donnie yang chen um i just want to just this quite quick detail that uh i enjoyed there with calling the what like this yeah. part where you know comics noticing that people are calling the wildflowers yang chen steps because she's healed the valley and some people refer to it as a joke kind of way and other people have actually like mm -hmm. adopted that phrase uh and yeah. i just want to point out this is also like uh, a little detail that kind of contributes to yang chen's almost like deification uh after mm -hmm. her time as avatar like this is kind of the first yeah. steps of it and I feel, I've yeah, I read that and I feel like something, like, some neurons were firing when I read that. That might have been something mentioned in uh, a Kiyoshi novel. Um, but yeah, I, to I totally agree. There, there's definitely even more deification going on. And I think I think the, the thing that we were looking forward to and that has planned out is kind of seeing, again, who is the person behind the Avatar mask in a way. Like, you know... Mm -hmm. Um, we we know the histories, we know what people think about them after they're gone, but what were they actually like? And that's why I love these, you know, Avatar, the Chronicles of the Avatar novels, is that we actually get to see what these people were like, and they're not just like, you know, like this idol that, you know, we know about. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, again, like I said, overall, mixed feelings on the book i think it had a strong start i think it had a strong finish um and you know obviously we will be covering whatever comes after this um whenever the next novel is announced if it is announced we will let you know and we will incorporate it into our show absolutely so if that's all our last thoughts let's move over to fandom corner yeah so fandom corner as most of ours do come from tumblr uh this is from uh Hamura Akemnis. I probably butchered that username, but it's linked in our show notes. Um, and it is basically just a reflection a little bit on Yang Chen's choices and fandom perception and things like that. So um, I guess this person's been seeing a different side of Tumblr than I have when it comes to Yang Chen discourse, but she, uh, sorry, they point out the way I keep seeing the fandom say things like Yang Chen fucked up the world with the spirits, Yang Chen only sided with humans, Yang Chen ignored the spirits, blah, blah, blah. Um, or some people even saying that they just like Chen Yang Chen because she caused Kirk's suffering. Uh, no, that's what they say. Uh, like she tried to meditate matters with the spirits a lot. We see in here how she made several deals with spirits and used diplomacy. Didn't just side with the humans and made deals to keep humans involving keeping humans away from spirit sacred sites. Um, 
you know, things like that. Also try to help relocate people who uh, lost their homes after the old iron situation. And, you know, like, she even goes as far to agree to punish an entire clan for 50 years in order to appeal, appease the Phoenix Eels, you know. Um, and she did the best thing she could to both respect the spirits' wishes and their sacred sites, while also preventing the spirits from hurting humans with their wrath. Um, and then she points out the line, uh, sorry, they, why do I keep saying she? They point out in The Shadow of Kiyoshi that Yang Chen said that she sided with humans more often than not. But given what we've seen so far, it may not be always be the case. Um, it seems that Yang Chen saying this to Kiyoshi is more of her own bias to criticize herself and only seeing her failures because of these failures, especially her failures to make mm -hmm. sure that humans kept their side of the deal. She came to believe that she shouldn't have tried to help the humans at all. But it seems to me she did the best she could in the circumstances and tried to meet best to meet the needs of both sides of this conflict. Uh, and then also pointing out she's not a perfect person. Her failures with the spirits did cause them to grow angry and dark, which caused problems for Kurik. But her failure is more about not managing to make sure humans kept their sides of the deals. It wasn't neglecting the spirits or only siding with the humans. So maybe she should have been more vigilant. Maybe she should have created more traditions like the Yang Chen's festival, which made sure the sacred site remained untouched, until, at least until the air nomads were wiped out. But at the end of the day, no avatar is perfect. No avatar created perfect solutions for the world because the world is complex and perfect solutions don't even exist. And Yang Chen is no exception. She did the best she could have done in the situation she was given. And I think saying a fuck up who ignored, she's a fuck up that ignored the spirits and only sided with humans is much disservice to her character as saying that Kirk was a fuck up. They both did the best they could. Yeah, and I think, you know what, I think this highlights a really interesting thing about anytime there's criticism over any avatar is that I don't think, uh, out of all the avatars that we've seen, I don't think a single one of them deserves, like, potently negative criticism. Yeah, the um, Because there's, yeah, the there's there's just no reason for it. I mean, unless it's, like, misogynistic, but well, we won't go there today. But this is what I'm, this is kind of what I'm, I'm talking about. I mean, Yang Chen is her own, like, self-critic, right? We also see this in, with Kiyoshi, uh, with Aang to a certain extent, with Korra to a certain extent. Every avatar is blatantly aware of the pressures that are on them, and they are also blatantly aware of their actions. Um, and to me, saying that Yang Chen is the reason for Kirk's suffering is almost kind of like saying that Aang is the reason the war happened. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the same thing. We uh, we can only be responsible for what happens in our life, you know. Granted, if you are the Avatar and you know that you are going to be reincarnated and you know that the person after you is going to have to deal with you what you weren't able to do, yes, there is some some you know foresight and agency that needs to happen there but again only to a certain extent at, at the end of the day these people are still just people yeah and there will be made there will be mistakes made and there will be self-bias and self-criticism whether it's deserved or not um and in the case of the phoenix eels i mean yang chen didn't just show up and be like you you need to you know shame yourselves for 50 years they leave you alone she told them this is your when punishment. she first <laughs> dealt with it when she first dealt with it this is these are the terms do not do this and they did it anyway so it's not like she did that for no reason you know there has to be drastic measures taken um so so yeah i think i think this is a great opportunity to just look at just how we criticize all the avatars and i i'm 
I will, I'm going to say even Roku, you know, because Roku, people blame Roku for, you know, um, Sozin and the Air Nomad genocide and all of that stuff. I do not blame that man at all for what happened. It is an extremely complicated situation with a person with extreme um, complicated feelings, um, platonic or romantic. Y'all know how I feel about Roku and Sozin. Um it's just, just things are just not black and white. And that's why I love Avatar because situations are very ever rarely presented as black or white, you know? And as much as we hate like things like the great divide, for instance, that's a great example of things that are not always black or white, you know? So that's, that's just kind of how I feel about it. There isn't always one answer. And I feel like that's part of what makes the series interesting is having the person the avatar make those decisions that always don't have a wrong or right answer because it just depends who you ask like you may have made the right one or you may have made the wrong one you know like cora decided to keep the spirits spirit portals open you know that for some people they agreed with and for some people they they disagreed with like everyday life you know and i think tencent even tells her you're not going to appease 100% of the people you have to do what you think is right you know and deal with the consequences as they come so that's all I all have to say about <laughs> that but that's this is a lovely find yeah Kayla. absolutely Thank you for finding this. you're welcome you're welcome it was a very quick find I'm very impressed we managed to spark an interesting discussion <laughs> off of a very quick find literally minutes before recording <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my, my goodness, we're professionals, I promise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So, well, in that case, that wraps up Fandom Corner for this week. If you'd like to uh, submit something for Fandom Corner, headcanon, theory, whatever you'd like to contribute to the Fandom Corner, we'll tell you how to do that in just a few minutes. Let's move on over to our recommendations. What would you like to recommend this week, Andre? Um, so this is for anyone who has, like me, trouble saving money. Um, I found this app recommended to me from someone on TikTok. It's called Capital. So it's Q-A-P-I-T-A-L. Um, right off the bat, I will say, yes, this is a paid service. Um, but basically this app, you connect it to your bank account and you can set up um, as many savings goals as you want. And again, this is not sponsored. Um, you can set up as many savings goals as you want. And you can set up what the app calls rules uh, for how you save money. So for instance, I have an emergency savings um, thing where I want to save up $1,000. So for that specific goal... I have a set and forget, which will basically deposit $5 from my bank account every week. It does it for me, so I don't have to do it. Um, I, also have an, I also have another one. There's a cool rule called guilty pleasure. So you can set it to where if you pay money um, at a specific restaurant, store, like for instance, I love Jimmy John's. I get it like twice a week. Um, so I can set up a rule where it says save $2 when you make a purchase at Jimmy John's. So if I indulge in a guilty pressure, pleasure, I will still save money and it'll deposit it for me. Um, there's one that's payday where you can save up to um, 20% of your deposits that are over $100 in your bank account. You can save a percentage of that and it'll put it into another fund. Um, and they got a bunch of, of, of these like kinds of rules, but 
Um, I've only just started using it, um, but so far it's pretty easy to use. It's pretty easy to set up. So if you're wanting to get more serious about saving, whether it be for a car, or a house, a, a new laptop, whatever it is, um, that might be a cool resource to use. How so, much a, um, how much is it for the service? Um, I think it you can pay as little as three dollars. I'm paying for uh six dollars because there's there was like one feature that i really wanted but i can't remember mm -hmm. um but it's as little as three dollars a month fabulous okay that's very doable yeah huh, did yeah about that. thanks for sharing yeah that. the only the only drawback is i have like a bunch of different bank accounts for different things you can only take money out of one, one bank account so i would choose your main account if you wanted to do something like this so yeah check it out cool awesome thanks for sharing yeah. uh mine is a little bit more to do with current events um, so as it's as as of as of the time of this recording, um, you know, in addition to the Club Q shooting, there was, I believe, it was in North Carolina, um, power stations were targeted because a drag show was happening in this area, uh, and cut power not just to the theater but to the mm. entire county, and you know, it's gotten to the point where even the Department of Justice has put, you know, LGBTQ has that like, kind of a warning to the LGBTQ plus community to. Be vigilant that they become a target basically it's on their website um and basically what my recommendation this week is to support your local drag scenes um you know for a lot of people this is their main source of income and also like if you don't feel safe to go out that's perfectly valid as well um but you know obviously too when you go to these spaces make sure you know where the fire exits are um you know make sure to kind of just keep an eye out for any shifty characters um i don't want to say this to scare because i know it's to scare people because we're already scared enough as it is but you know considering that andre and i are both queer and we want to and we have, i'm sure we have a lot of queer listeners out there we just with the rise of hate and violence against our community it's more important than ever to support our community whether that's you know tipping uh if you can't make it into a show tipping a drag queen or king or artist uh over venmo if you really like what they do um you know sharing their flyers um you know volunteering at these events um you know things like that basically we really need to rally together against this wave of hatred so you know that can be done through donating to organizations that help you know house people for instance or Basically, I it's not really much of a straightforward recommendation this week. It's much of a message, but we really need to stand together as a community and put petty differences aside because we are under attack. And it's yeah. critical that we stay together. And, you know, I don't have anything else to say about it. It's just, it just breaks my heart to see these things happen. And, you know, this vitriol is only getting stronger but we are stronger than that and you know yep. the allies that are listening that want to help you know make sure you're you know you can donate your time you can donate your money you can share from people who are speaking out about this um you know if you're really an ally now is the time to stand with us because we really need it absolutely and yep i'll get off my soapbox <laughs> No, no. Thank you for saying that, Kayla. No problem. 
Uh, taking a quick 180 from that, uh, if you'd like to stay up to date on what's next for the Avatar Hour podcast, you can follow us on TikTok at, at the Avatar Hour Pod, on Instagram and Facebook at the Avatar Hour Podcast, and on Twitter at Avatar Hour. Like I said before, we're always looking for more fandom corner entries, so if you got anything good to contribute, send it our way through our direct messages on those platforms, or email us at the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and if you can't, if it doesn't make it into an episode, chances are I'll probably make it into an eventual messenger hawk mailbag episode so we'd love to hear from you yeah absolutely and if you want some more avatar hour in your life then consider signing up for our patreon uh for as little as one dollar a month or up to five dollars a month you can access our show notes add free editions of our episodes zoom recordings and much much more we will be back in the new year with our 100th episode so stay tuned for info about that on our socials it's going to be really fun really exciting um, we're just going to take a quick little break for the holidays, but we will be back um, with the rest of season four in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. Um, until then, we will see you very soon. My name is Andre. And I'm Kayla. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.